Welcome to the Next Level Youth Podcast. Here you will find sermons and content from Next Level Youth. We meet every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. at the Palace of Praise Church. We hope this content challenges and encourages you in your walk of faith. Let's grow in Christ together. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this. You may have heard this before. A lot of you probably have. It says this. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to read verse 10 one more time. We are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you could just leave that up there for a little while for me, that would be awesome. A lot of times when someone's quoting Ephesians 2, they're going to quote verses 8 through 9. Because verses 8 through 9 are powerful. They're conveying a message to us that you didn't save yourself, that you weren't good enough, you were saved by grace, that you can't earn your salvation. Instead, it is given to you. And we put a lot of emphasis on verse 8 and 9. We put a lot of emphasis just on this moment of death to life, this moment of salvation. But too often, we don't quote verse 10. When we quote verse 8 and 9 or too often, we don't really focus enough on what God is communicating to us in this verse. Here's the thing about salvation. Salvation is something to be excited about. Salvation is a joyous occasion. Salvation is a moment that you should never forget. Salvation is that moment when everything changes, when you finally know God and He knows you, when you've finally been washed clean of your sin, that's salvation, and that's awesome. But the thing about salvation, it's not the end goal. Salvation is just the first step. Salvation is not the mark of just an end of the old life, but it is a mark, it's a moment where the new life begins. Look at it like this, if maybe you're not tracking with me. It's like marriage, all right? We spend a lot of time focusing on the wedding day, planning the wedding day, spend a lot of money and effort, and it's a glorious day. It's a wonderful occasion worth celebrating that God, that man and woman and God are making covenant with one another to love each other for the rest of their life. It's a beautiful thing. And it's worth celebrating, is it not? It is. However you choose to celebrate that. But the wedding day is just the beginning. If you're just infatuated with that day, it's not going to go great for you. It's just not. Because the most important day of a marriage is not the first day. The most important day of marriage is the last one. The true test of the wedding day are the days that follow the wedding day. Are they not? And it's the same with following God. Leave that verse up there still. We're not, I haven't even talked about it yet, but I'm about to. So to get where we're going to go, we're not going to stay here. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 3 in a moment. But 
to get where God wants you to get in your life and to accomplish the mission that God is inviting you to in this life, I want you, I pray, God wants you, excuse me, to get a hold of this verse right here. We are his worksmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. First thing you notice, I'm going to say four things to notice quickly. I'm going to move fast. First, notice we are his. I love that. You are his. Don't let go of that. Until you find God, until you know him, I want to let you know a secret. It's not really, it shouldn't be a secret anyway. I don't know why I said secret. That was a dumb thing to say. But until we find God and until we know Him, we cannot know our intended purpose in this life. We cannot know what we were created to do. We cannot know who we were meant to be. And I've been screaming that this year. God has been speaking that to you through this year. Without me, you don't have purpose. Without me, you don't have meaning. Without me, you don't know who you are meant to be. Second thing I want you to notice, that God created you for good works, good works, that you're his and God has an intended purpose for what is his and he had intention when he designed you in your mom's womb and he knew who you were going to be before you were ever in your mom's womb. And so God has things that he wants to accomplish here on earth that he wants you to be a part of, that he wants you to join him in completing. That's the invitation. But here's the thing about these good works. It's not your idea of what good works are. It's his idea. It's his plan. It's what he wants to do with you. Who cares what you think is good? Who cares what you think he wants you to do? What does God want you to do? Because it seems to me he has a plan. It seems to me that when he designed you, he intended you to accomplish good works with him. His plan, not yours. Number three, yeah, he, they bridge right here. He prepared these works beforehand. Here's the thing about salvation. We get it wrong. We get it wrong. All right? Salvation is not you inviting God into your life and into your plan. Do you understand that? Accepting Christ isn't saying, God, I invite you to come be a part of my life and my plan. No, no, no. Salvation is God inviting you to be a part of his. That's what it is. This is the thing. I need some help. Can I get some help? I just need someone to hold a microphone for me. I don't like headsets, so I don't use one. But every once in a while, I need one. You know what I mean? Oh, you public speakers out there? Yeah. All right. Say yeah. All right. This is what we do. All right? This is a problem. We try to shove God into our life, and we try to shove God into our plans. And a God that you cannot find the edges of, he just won't fit. So this is what you look like when you do that. I am not literally God, I know that. But this is what you look like when you're trying to shove your plans or God into your plans. You see this? You see this? 
You see this? How's this look? This looks pretty flippin' dumb. And here's the thing. I hope you don't ever forget this. Okay, take a picture. I don't care. But here's the thing. I'm about to take this off, so I'm going to let you hold that. And it's kind of fun. So this is what we look like. This is what you look like. And you're like, God, fit into my plan. And God's like, I don't wear a size small. I'm a 2 or 3X, bro. Do you understand? I haven't wore a shirt this size since second grade, okay? This is what we look like. Help me out. This is going to be bad. Thank you. What a guy. I hope you never forget that. You're welcome. Trying to shove God into your plans is like trying to shove a circle into a square peg. It don't fit right. Or a square into a circle peg, more so. doesn't fit right. God is not going to fit into your plan. So stop trying to make them. Last thing. We should walk in them. Walk. We've already said this, but salvation is not, or excuse me, salvation is just the first step. There's a lot of walking that takes place after that. Because God isn't just calling you to take one step. God's asking you to walk. Your most important step isn't your first one. It's your last one. And your life is not defined by your best days or your worst days. Your life is defined by the sum of your days. Your walk is defined by the sum of your days. So will you walk in them? And that's the question. After this step, if you've taken this step, and I pray that you have, it changes everything. The question is, what are your next steps going to look like? What are they going to look like? Will it be you joining with God in what he wants to accomplish with you on this earth? Or are you just continually trying to shove God into something he doesn't want to be a part of? Doing things he isn't asking you to do. Taking part in things he isn't asking you to take part of. And you're even so cocky that you're slapping his name on it. Saying, God told me to do this. God's not just looking for ambitious people. God's not just looking for hard workers. God is looking for a co-laborer. God is looking for someone who will literally line up a line right beside him and say, God, you've got a plan. You have something you want to do with me. Let's do it together. That's what God's looking for. And this is the thing that God has had on my heart for like six weeks. And I'm just trying to stay calm and not start just shouting everywhere. God is asking you to be a co-laborer with him. And that is what will focus this whole idea the rest of the night is this idea of being a co-laborer with God. And to do that, to go just a little more into that, I want to go to 1 Corinthians. We are going to go to 1 Corinthians 3. All right? 1 Corinthians 3 comes right before 2 Corinthians. You're looking for the book. All you guys that have your Bible, see a lot of Bibles out there. Verse 1 through 9, are you ready? I don't care if you're ready or not. Here we go. 
But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. For we are God's fellow workers. For we are God's co-laborers. And you are the field. You are the building. Paul loves the Corinthian church. They're the longest epistles in the whole New Testament. And there's two of them. And they're full. And he loves them. But they're really immature. Really, really Immature, And they let a lot of dumb things divide them as the church. And this issue that Paul is dealing with as he writes this letter is there's this issue that's arising where these people, this church, is all like, well, Apollos is my pastor. And, I'm like, and then somebody's like, no, Apollos sucks. Paul's my pastor. Paul's my leader. I follow Paul. Apollos sucks. And I'm like, no, Apollos is a better preacher than Paul. And it's like, no, Apollos' theology is whack. That's what's going on, right? Because everybody said whack way back in the day. That was a big deal. Right? But what does Paul say? If you'll put verse 5 back up there, if you would. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul says, who am I? Who is Apollos? We are just merely servants. We're just doing our duty. We are just men that God worked through to help you believe in Christ and to help you on your journey. The Lord is the one who put us here. This was God's intended plan. This was God's doing. He gets the credit for it, not us. We are just servants. Verse 9, we are just fellow workers. You are the field. You are the building. You are the people that God has called us to. You are the people that God has broke our heart for. You are the people that God has us right here, right now, in this moment, in this season, to plant, to water, to plow. God has us here. This doesn't have anything to do with us, so stop obsessing over who's better. Stop obsessing over something so dumb and so immature. This isn't about us. And he's still driving the point home in the next chapter. In chapter 4, verse 1. This is how you should regard us. Just in case you don't get this, Corinthians, this is how you should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We're just servants. God has asked us to be stewards of theology, stewards of the gospel, stewards of the goodness 
of God. We're just doing the good works that God has prepared for us to do. It's not our gospel. It's His. It's His. We want to praise Paul for his books and his masterpieces. Paul didn't write those books. God did. Getting ahead of myself. This invitation to be a part of what God is doing on the earth does not just belong to a select few. No, this is an invitation extended to everyone, and that's why verse 10 in Ephesians 2 is so important. It's like, hey, I didn't just call you to take a step. I asked you to walk. I got good works I want you to do. And God is inviting you into his plan. The question is, are you going to jump in? What field? Not, I'm not talking about a career. Hear me out. Not necessarily. But what, God, what field is God asking you to be in? Apollos, Paul, they got it. Do you get it? Do you know? And that's the first question I want to ask you. What field is God prepared for you to join him in? For Paul in this moment, it was Corinth. My field right here in this moment in my life, it's you. God called me here. God has placed me and my wife here. It's his plan. But what about you? What field is God asking you to join him in? Have you even asked him? Have you even asked? And you might say, I'm just a teenager. No, 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 you don't understand. Have you even asked? These good works are not saved for the future. God wants to work now. Have you even asked? Or you just keep trying to shove him into your field? You just go before him and pray and say, God, I need you to do this and this. And it would be really nice if you did this. Asking for God's omnipotence without having his omnipresence. It's silly. Here's the thing. All right. Malachi was just up here, right? He was talking about the state of school and how dark it is. And God asked us to build his kingdom. He, in fact, says he's going to. He really just invites us to be a part of him building his kingdom. He's like, join in. But when you look at the status, the status of the world, and when you look around you and see the darkness, it can get kind of overwhelming to think there is a lot of people, there are a lot of people who need to know God. There are a lot of people yet who have not become a part of his kingdom. <clears throat> and a lot of people get overwhelmed. You ever been overwhelmed by that? Anybody? A few of you? The only way to not be overwhelmed by the weight of God building his kingdom here on earth and being a part of it is to find what God is asking you to do in it. What is God asking you to do in this glorious plan? The real question for you is, God, 
Where are you and how do I join you? And that's the question that you need to be asking. That's the question that all of us need to be asking and trying, instead of trying to shove God into our programs, into our ideas, and telling God how to move and telling them what to do. Where's God? And how do I join? I like to put it this way, another way, if you're not getting it yet. What does God want to break your heart about? What does God want to break your heart about? What's breaking his heart? And what does God want to break your heart about? And some of you, whether you realize it or not, God has already been trying to reveal this to you. He is. Because when you see it, it sticks in your mind. When you see it, it bothers you. Whatever that thing is, whatever that problem is, whatever he's asking you to make a change and an influence in, to join him in, in accomplishing his plan, what is breaking your heart, God? And what do you want to break my heart for? Because if God breaks your heart for something, he wants to use you and he wants you to join him in fixing it. He wants you to join him. He wants you to find out what he wants to do and join him. And not only does he want you to stop there, it's not just about getting a burden and then starting to attack it. But then you need to ask God, okay, now that I know how. This sermon's not for everybody. But those who can hear, the question is, how? Ask him. Position yourself. If your heart's broke, and you start to feel that weight and that burden of God, it will knock you to your knees. And when you're on your knees, you're in the perfect position to hear how. And if you'll open the word and you'll leave out your preconceived notions about what it says, but then you'll instead say, God, what are you actually saying? Not my Americanized version of the Bible, not my worldview version of the Bible, but what do you want to say and what is this saying? If you do that, God will show you how. He doesn't just give you a burden. He shows you how. God provides the how. And that's the second thing. Whatever field God calls you to, He provides the how. Whatever field that God asks you to join Him in, He provides the plow. It's His plow. He made it. It's efficient. It's powerful. He's asking you to push it, but it's His. And He's pushing it with you. And he gives you the seed. It's not your seed. It's not your good ideas. It's not your gospel. It's his. It's his seed. And it's not your water that he's asking you to water with. It's his water. And it's not your power to push and to water and to sow. It's his. It's his. He is the how. 
period. In verse 7, whatever harvest comes out of this work, it's His. It's His. It's His. Here's the thing. If you will work hard in this life, because the way God designed the earth, you will get a return on your work. You will. So if you want to do your own thing, and if you want to make your own plans, and you want to be southern saved and say, look at what God did when God's not even in it, if that's what you want, go ahead. Go ahead. But when God, when it's His field, and you're doing His work, He brings a harvest. And that harvest is far beyond what you can imagine. And it's far better than you can think. And it's a harvest that doesn't fade and doesn't rot, but it lasts forever. And when God is in the middle of it, it's 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, far beyond what you could ever do. You can set your mind to something, and you can do it. You can reap. But God's not asking you to do that. God's asking you to see what happens when you get right here. When you get right here. Just see what I do. I dare you. When someone, I don't know why I feel the need to say this. In this culture we live in, pastors, they get, boom, elevated quick, right? Well, at some point, they get out of God's field. They, God's not even where they're at. And at some point, they start to take credit for the harvest. And when that happens, they fall. Every time, they fall. You know why? Because they suck. That's why. Because without God, you're nothing. That's why. Because it's not their harvest, it's His. That's why. And God used them in spite of their self. That's why. I don't know why I felt the need to say that. It doesn't really matter. You are not the how God is. And Paul understood this. And because Paul understood this, Paul got to be a part of way more than he ever thought he could. When Paul wrote Corinthians and he wrote these letters, he had no idea that it would be a part of canon, that it would be a part of the Word of God, that it would be part of Scripture. He had no idea that I would be standing here over 2,000 years later talking about his life and talking about the words that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit penned with him. He had no idea the impact. But you know why he had impact? He was in God's field. He wasn't relying on himself. It was all about him. And anything that Paul did, we should never look at it as like, look what Paul did. No. Look what God did. Look what God did with just a mere man. Look what God did with a Christian killer. Look what God did. That was Paul's history. 
He was killing people who professed Jesus. God flipped that on his head, flipped him on his head, flipped that on its head, and changed everything. And when you read the word, and we always say, or I shouldn't say that, we learn who killed Goliath. David did. David didn't kill Goliath. God did. You understand that? David didn't kill Goliath. God killed Goliath. David wasn't that strong. Daniel didn't shut the mouths of the lions. God did. Moses didn't part the Red Sea. God did. May we join God in doing something so miraculous on this earth that it is undeniable that it was not us, but it was Him. And God can use us because we're humble and because we don't care about clout and because we'll give Him the glory because it's all Him. God is the was, God was and now is the how, period. Before we wrap this up, I, don't, I didn't want to go here, and I, I've been saying that. Um, I, don't know, I don't understand it, um, and I'm not going to get mad at the Lord about it, but I have to go back to Luke 15, and I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. And this is the third thing. My wife's laughing because I've talked to her about this too much. Verse 25 is where we're going. Here's the thing. Here's the warning. Either at the beginning or sometimes in the middle or even at the end. It can be really easy if you're not aligned with the Lord to get out of what He is asking you to do. And at some point... The son in the story got sucked into his own field and away from his father. Verse 25. Go read this whole uh, chapter if you haven't. But it says this. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came home who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Bless you. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Here's the warning. Don't be like the older brother. Working away in the wrong field, using your own plow, your own seed, your own water, in your own power. 
Because all it did was leave them stale and angry and resentful. And here's the thing. He was in the field working, claiming to be doing it in the name of his father. It was his father's property. It was like he claimed that this is what you wanted me to be doing, Dad. But the thing is, he was working away in the name of his dad. But his dad didn't ask him to be in the field that he was in. He didn't ask him. His dad wasn't even there. His dad was at home. God doesn't ask you to be a part of doing anything that he won't give you the tools and the power to do. And he won't ask you to do anything that he won't do right beside you. Don't get to work in your own field. I hope you get this metaphor. I hope you get this analogy. Don't ever get deceived into thinking that God the Father is some type of slave driver. While you're plowing, whack! Plow harder, boy. So faster, boy. Water more. If you were to examine yourself, examine your heart, and examine the way you treat God's work, and the way you view it, if you were to be honest with yourself, more people than should, because no one should, view God like that. That they view him as some far off person who's sitting in a corner office waiting to see a return. And that's writing angry emails. Maybe this will track with you a little better. Talking about how bad your performance is and how you need to do better. No, God is neither one of those things. God wants you to be right here. God wants to be right with you. God's inviting you to join him, to join him in what he wants to do. And until you understand that, and until you get a hold of that, and until you live like that, you're not going to fulfill the good works that God prepared for you to accomplish on this earth. God's going to get his work done. God's going to build his kingdom. It's an honor and a privilege to be invited to be a part of it. I'm almost done. I feel like I need to mentions the, mentions, mentions, mention this. When you're working in your own field, like the older brother was, you'll get jealous of what God is doing in someone else's. Because God's not in yours, but he's in theirs. What does Paul say? 1 Corinthians 3. All these people are fighting and arguing. Who's better? Who's got more fruit? Who preaches better? Who leads better? Who has better theology? What does he say? Verse 7 and 8. Neither he who plants or waters is anything, 
as anything. Doesn't matter. What does he say in verse 8? He who plants and waters are one. The goal of Apollos and Paul was to accomplish God's mission. So we cheer each other on when we see that happening. In closing, here's the thing. God is looking. I want you to stand, actually. I sat here and, and or stand here and uh, can speak about this because God has been stirring me. And I, I look around and I'm paying attention and I see a lot of transition happening in the kingdom right now. And I don't, I just see it. I have peers, they're like one after another, just change, things are just changing. And God in this hour is asking this question. He's talking to you right now. Will you drive this truck for me? <laughs> Praise God. I will. If he asks you to, do it. Are you going to do something that goes way beyond what you could ever do on your own? Are you going to accept this invitation? It's an invitation. It's an invitation he extends to all who take this first step. It's an invitation to see God do things and be a part of God doing things beyond you could ever imagine. And the people who do that, the people who accept this invitation... The people who understand that God wants to work and be right here with them and accomplishing his will on the earth are the people who you read about in books. I just feel the need to tell one person's story, not in the Bible, for just a quick snippet and I'll be done. There's a man in Scotland, his name was John Knox. Go look him up. John Knox was his name. And his motto was, give me Scotland or I die. God had put such a burden on his heart for Scotland. And that was his life motto. God, give me Scotland or I die. God, I know you want to save Scotland. I want to be a part of it or I die. And it was said that the queen feared the prayers of John Knox more than any other enemy, more than any other army. One man letting God break his heart for what broke his and understanding that God wants to do a work. That's the invitation.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in. God bless.